Hello and welcome to another NL Full Time podcast. It's uh, a midweek edition. I'm Rob Worrell and uh, joining me this evening as we record this on uh, Wednesday evening uh, is uh, our ever-present Mr Dickie Wharton. Good evening, Dickie. Good evening, Rob. Good to see you. He's not actually ever-present, but he's the one that's here the most of us. So, uh, and uh, probably joint with Chris Pratt as uh, here the least, but fantastic that he's been able to join us tonight. Uh, Tom Lang. Hi, Rob. Hi, everyone. Nice to see you. And special guest, uh, fresh from uh, progression in the National League playoff eliminators just last night. Uh, delighted to be joined by Chesterfield, Jim Kellerman. Good evening, Jim. Good evening. Hello, everyone. Fantastic work last night. We'll get to that in a little bit. But um, what we're going to do, we're going to start in chronological order, really, because... The reason we're recording midweek, we've had fantastic North and South finals on Saturday, the FA Trophy final on Sunday, uh, and then, of course, the National League playoff eliminators on Monday and Tuesday. So a lot to to wrap up. Um, Let's get going first and foremost with the National League South final, which took place at Meadowbank, home of Dorking Wanderers on Saturday. Uh, Dorking took on Ebbsfleet United and... uh, I was lucky enough not only to be at the um, at Meadowbank, but, but but commentating on the game for uh, BBC Surrey Sport, uh, which was a, a fantastic privilege. And and you know, towards the current status of an incredible journey in Dorking Wanderers history, it was quite incredible for that to be my first ever game at Meadowbank. Uh, I know um, Tom that, that that you've been there before. Did you go to either of the old rounds, West Humble or uh, Big Field? Uh, yeah, I went to West Humble. I think I first saw Dorking um, playing step four football about four seasons ago. Um, I watched them, in fact, uh, the season that they came runners up to Tooting and Mitchum, who won the league, uh, and then again the following season. Uh, and you know, even even then, it was obvious that the likes of Matt Briggs and James McShane were going to play at a much much higher level. Um, and you know, look at the look at the quality they've got at step two, and, and both of those sort of players, if they can accommodate the additional travelling with their with their work and depending on what sort of model Dor- uh, can go for next season, those sort of players will be stars in the National League as well. Good stuff. Well, before the game kicked off, I spoke to people on both sides. So initially uh, on the train, I caught up with uh, um, long-term Ebbsfleet United fan Phil Moss on the train between Red Hill and Dorking Deep Deep. And I'm joined now by Phil Moss. Uh, an Ebb's Fleet fan who's uh, been through it all, has been through the rinser. I think he was, uh, didn't have a head of grey hair, did you, when you started supporting this club? Uh, well, possibly I have had a couple, but not as, not as much as I've got now yet. <laughs> so, you've made the final. Um, you've got a mission as well, haven't you? It will have hurt, and I'm sorry to bring it up, but when you get relegated on points Demoted. per game by 0.0002 or whatever it was, it's going to hurt. Um, you stand on the edge of completing the journey back, but you've got a very dangerous opponent in Dorking. What's your feelings pre-match? We're on the train too deeping right now. Very nervous. Um, had a beer already. It's tough. We, we, we obviously came here in, in January and got absolutely smashed 5-1. Um, and we can't afford for that to happen again, obviously. Um, yeah, we're still, we're still hurting from the demotion. Um, being... Put down by 0.002 points, as you say, was absolutely gut-wrenching. 
because um, you're in good form at the time, weren't you? We were, we were, we yeah. were the form team, yeah. and yeah, I mean, Fleet were the last ever live um, game in the whole of Europe before <laughs> before everything got shut down with the pandemic, and we won. Um, so it's 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 been lingering there for two seasons, and uh, mm. we really need to put it right today. In terms of how your team might go about it today, I mean, Dorkin are just, I think it's 22 goals in the last five home games, 101 goals for the season. Both sides have conceded the same amount, but do you dare to sort of try and outplay them or have you got to really tough it out, maybe maybe keep it tight, out of possession, frustrate them and hit them on the break? I think Dennis has got a couple of interesting selections to make. I mean, we, we started the semi-final with, four, with all of our four strikers on the pitch two of them playing in midfield so whether he gambles and goes for the goes for it again um who knows i mean we need to go on the front foot we need to score the first goal today that's absolutely vital we can't be giving them the impetus of a, of a goal lead at home in front of obviously over 2,000 of their fans um we're delighted to have be, be taking 900 of us um a much more generous allocation than we we thought we were going to get so fair play to talking for that um but we've got to go on the front foot we've we've got a more solid back line than we had when we came here in january but we know they're a threat i mean any team that scores 100 plus goals this season is obviously a threat i'm hearing from a good source that craig tanner's passed a fitness test would you gamble on starting him 16 assists seven goals he is, a, he is a quality player and on his day, I mean, he can turn a game with his delivery from free kicks, set pieces, corners. Yeah, so if if he is fit, then I'd start him and then if he can only last an hour, hopefully during that hour, we've done enough to, to give ourselves a solid foundation to go and win it. When did your support in Ebbs Fleet start? Was it way back in the day or was it the My Football Club days? Or? Yeah, I'm, I'm one of those keyboard jockeys who uh, who turned up in in 2008 um but i was i was living elsewhere at the time but really got to love the club moved to the area been in gravesend and northfleet ever since um and absolutely love it i ran the um, sponsors lounge for a few years when the last time we actually had an away playoff final i was i was doing that um, so we're hoping that history will repeat itself from farmer 11 years ago Fantastic. Good luck in that Ebbsfleet's fifth or sixth playoff final, isn't it? Yeah, we, we're used to them. We're used to them being at home recently, obviously. But, um, yeah, it, it, we've only won one of the last three. So we need to we need to maintain a 100% record of winning away playoff finals. So that was Phil Moss. And you could feel the hurt that had built up. And uh, it was a pretty good background story for both sides going into that one. I also caught up with the Dorking manager, Mark White, briefly on the pitch before the game kicked off. Mark, we caught up uh, last weekend. You go and have a look at Ebbsfleet in the semi-final. It was a tight game, a dour one. Ebbsfleet played four strikers from the off. Do you think they'll be brave enough to do that today? I wouldn't imagine so. I wouldn't imagine so. They do, though. I shake their hand. Do you know what? I think uh, I'm really pleased both these teams are in, are in this final because... Uh, people with you know, decent memories will remember they got relegated on a 0.002 yep. points per game a season before Dover was allowed to stay in the league for not even playing games. And uh, so, you know, Ebbsfleet today, if they were to win, would feel like they deserved it and, and we would feel the same off the back of last year. So you could argue there's a couple of deserving winners um, and the right two teams have finished in this position. And um, yeah, obviously we're hoping we can make another bit of history. 
and that's the thing another bit and that's that that's testimony to your leadership because a lot of people would here be thinking can we get across the line this is the final step it's not the final step it's just the next one mark isn't it yeah that's the plan i mean yeah, we, yeah that's the plan to us really we've got a great model down here and, and we're really enjoying it and this season we finished in our highest ever league position in club history best ever FA cut run the crowds have doubled there's so many great things in the club going on so it's just the journey and um you know, it's, it's, I think it would be unbelievable to, to get promoted at essentially what is the first time of asking in terms of completed seasons. Um, we're just going to see how the match goes, really, and just hope we uh, get lucky. The Wanderers' gods are out. It is an incredible story. You stand on the edge, as we speak, of completing a 12th promotion in 23 years as a football club. And I think I've heard you quoted as saying that it'd be the first club to come right from the bottom level of Parks Leagues up to the top tier of non-league if you do do it. Yeah, we were Division 5 of the Crawley District Saturday League and uh, there is no lower level of football than that and um, that was the lowest we could start at. Yeah, and, and if we were to get promoted we'd be at the highest level of non-league football. And you know, a lot of what we do is try to retain those values that teams through the step levels have. I think they hold a lot more values with, with no disrespect to bigger clubs than a lot of bigger clubs the volunteers, the people that graft, the people involved in football. And uh, we, uh, we hope to show people that they can have ambition and they can, you know, do what we've done and, and build a club the right way. Been a breath of fresh air uh, in the National League South. Who knows, it might just be a pit stop. Good luck this afternoon and we'll catch you after the game. Cheers, Rob. OK, then, all set for what turned out to be a quite breathtaking uh, afternoon. And uh, with many thanks to uh, BBC Sports editor Tim Durrans and to BBC Radio Surrey, here's the whole thing wrapped up in two minutes. And there's a ball through. It's an early chance for the visitors. And they lead Rakesh Bingham with the goal for the fleet. Some Bart is beaten. And it drops down to James McShane. And it is an equaliser for Dorking in the 43rd minute of the first half. Holian has picked up the ball. He's going one and one against Bobby Joe Taylor. Gets his shot in. And it's saved onto the post by Lincoln. What a save that could be. But here's Craig Tanner with an opportunity in the box. And he finds the bottom corner. Craig Tanner in the dying moments here at Meadowbank has potentially put Ebfleet back into the National League. Fuller cuts inside. He's going to clip a ball in from the left-hand side. Headers up on target. And turned in at the far post by Luke Moore. Unbelievable scenes here. Dorking Wanderers have levelled in the 98th minute of a minimum of 96. Dorking Wanderers 2, Ebsfleet United 2. Squared, chance, McShane. And it's tucked in by that man, Alfie Rutherford. His chance did come along. And he took it with aplomb. Dorking 3, Ebsfleet 2. That is the final whistle from the Crawley and District League to the National League. From Bigfield to West Humble to Meadowbank and beyond. From one man and his dog to a 3,000 sellout here at Meadowbank. Dorking Wanderers have done it. Promotion to the top tier of non-league football. Alfie Rutherford's extra time wither has sealed the deal. Twice they came from behind. They're in the National League. Final score here at Meadowbank. Dorking Wanderers 3 Ebsley United 2. Very quick word with uh, 
talking manager Mark White, you've done it, you've got across the line. Just your initial reaction, you did well, it the hard way. Yeah, I think it's just epitomised our season. People going down with injuries, us battling back, us never giving up. We've done it all season and um, the boys have been tremendous. And today they dug in and that's what they've done all season long in adversity. And, you know, you just knew they going to find a way to win. That's what they do. It's unbelievable, Alfie Rutherford, he scored... 30-plus goals, very unselfish to set up the first one, wasn't he? But he was there. He yeah. finally got a chance on the day and he touched yeah. it away. Yeah, honestly, yeah. Alfie's been superb. The boys, these boys deserve it. The fans deserve it. I'm over the moon. You know, we're going to party as long as we can, obviously. You know, I feel for Ebsfleet, relegated two years ago on a point per game, a calamity, you know. But last year, we were hard done by. We were hard done by. And we've come back. We've come back. And we've shown our, you know, credentials there. We've shown some real class to come back off the back of last year. But so, you know, we're over the moon. It's a shame there can only be one winner in them sort of games. And we've got such a good relationship with Fleet as well. So over the moon. They dug deep. That's what they do. Congratulations. So Dorking progressed to the National League. Um, it's quite a fairy tale, isn't it, Tom? Um, you know, you, you, you mentioned that you've been and kind of snapshotted it at uh, various steps along the way. And, and and there was me turning up on, you know, you know, the last day of that entire journey from, from one end of the uh, parks football to uh, the top end of uh, non-league football. But uh, it's, it's quite some achievement, isn't it? Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, when, I think, so one of, the, one of the resources that I use most when I am writing about football or when I'm, you know, helping the guys at Hampton get their commentary notes prepared, things like that, is Football Club History Database, which if you haven't used it, it's an incredible uh, website where every every season in every football club's history is on there, what level, it, what round they've got to in the FA Cup, blah, blah, blah. And what's really telling with Dorking is Dorking's entry only started in 2007, 2008. Um, and in that time, they've risen from the Sussex Third League through the Isthmian League system, and now right to the pinnacle of the National League system. And in that in that time, they had two abandoned seasons as well. Um, so the the rate of progression is unbelievable. Um, and the reality is there's, you know, there's been a number of key figures along the way, but no one has been more key than Mark White. Um, we've talked about it to death in this podcast, but it's very tempting, isn't it, to look at sort of the bankrolling owner-manager. And there have been a few who've, who've come and gone across the years that have maybe been more whimsical figures. But Mark White is, first and foremost, a very, very good football manager. Um, he has successfully rebuilt, or not rebuilt, even augmented and developed teams every season. Um, he's never gone crazy with it. He's never got promoted and said, right, it's promotion straight away. He's always sustained and developed to that level and then gone forward when they're ready to. Um, and consistently across this season, he has set very well. They can do pretty much any type of football you want to play. They've got the nous, the experience and the physicality to win battles on the pitch. They've got the technique and the pace and the skill to pull you to pieces if you give them space. Um, and, yeah, a very good footballing side and well-deserved promotion. A couple of little footnotes from that game. Uh, there, there were a lot of familiar faces there at Meadowbank. One chap that I spoke briefly to, and I had no idea what news was about to break uh, in the subsequent uh, couple of days, but... Uh, it has broken, hasn't it, today, chaps, that uh, Steve King has left Dartford after reaching the playoffs but uh, not progressing in them. Um, and guess really, you know, our National League South expert, Tom, I need to come to you on this one as well. 
Um, yes, it's big news. Um, is it surprising news? Um, I think it was like you know the, the shock of the shock of getting a wax that you weren't expecting. But then when you look back at it, you realise actually maybe that did need doing. Um, at the end of the day, Steve King has used uh, but somewhere between forty-five and fifty players this season. Um, they've got a big budget there, uh, and when you look back at it, I think two Kent Senior Cups is maybe not the reward that the, the Dartford board were expecting for the outlay they've made. Um, you know, Steve King is a tried and tested manager at this level, um, and I'm 100% confident if he had have stayed at Dartford, he would have had them punching next season as well and competing for, for a promotion spot. Um, but maybe the Dartford board just felt that, you know, he's had his, he's had his shot at it and it's time to give someone else a go. Um, I'm seeing, you know, I've looked at the Dartford forums and opinion's pretty split. Um, really about whether or not he should, you know, whether or not this is the right decision. Some fans are, are quite behind it and think it's time for someone new, whereas others are, are pretty disappointed. Um, one name I have seen bouncing around the airwaves a few times already is Ryan Maxwell, um, who did such a fantastic job at Braintree on a very, very limited budget. Um, and, and there's a fair few people touting him to see if he could do better with uh, with more resources. Interesting stuff. Thanks, Tom. And I'm sure it won't be long before Steve King's back in football. Uh, it's all that he knows and all that he loves. And uh, we wish Steve King all the best. Final footnote before we move on to look at the uh, National League North tie. Jason Pryor also announced today 68 goals in 120 games for Dorking. And much really like uh, when haven't um, reached the National League. He's come out straight away and said he's off. He's not going to play National League. He, he, uh, he's just not able or wants to do the travelling all around the country. Yeah, and what a loss that is for Dorking, really. You know, he's he's so pivotal in the way they play. Um, he's uh, Alfie Rutherford's obviously been the main man in that regard. But, um, you know, he's when he's not in the team, you can still see it. Uh, he's very much more of a, a Harry Kane type player now in that he can play a bit deeper, he can get the ball in the half turn and he can bring the wide players into play. And when you've got the wide players of McShane and Briggs... Um, going wide, and then Alfie Rutherford foot is sort of the, the the head of the spear, as you were. Like Jason Pryor in that role is so effective. He's still, you know, not to limit him to this, but he's all elbows and and so hard to play against for a defender. You can see it from the sideline. Um, but I guess you know he he's turned down the chance to play at a national level before. Um, I don't think it's you know I'm not going to be one of those people that sits there and goes to a lack of ambition or anything like that. I think you know at the end of the day. Uh, He's part-time footballer now and he has a young family and, you know, as Jim, I'm sure, will attest to, there's a hell of a lot of travelling in the National League. Um, and if you can't make that commitment, and it is, whether you're a part-time footballer or not, it's pretty much a full-time job. Um, and Jim, I know you've been playing uh, in a different league, in a different part of the con- country, but uh, you know one or two of the players, don't you, at, uh, at Dorking that you've played with before and what an incredible achievement it is. Yeah, it's a brilliant, brilliant achievement. Um, obviously, knowing Bobby from before at uh, Aldershot, he's um, a really talented lad. With, um, and then Dan Gallagher is... If he's got half as much energy as Jake Gallagher, then he must be some player. So, um, no, they, they've done brilliantly. And I think uh, some really good teams from the North and the South have come up to the National League uh, for next season. And I'd put Dorkin and Maidstone in a similar category in terms of clubs. Um, but I expect them both to be really, really solid outfits uh, for the next season. 
Yeah, fantastic stuff. And a little footnote there. The Gallagher family as a whole, just what a refreshing family. What an incredible bunch um, and, and, and football through and through. It was great to see Mr Gallagher Sr. there on uh, on Saturday because he used to sit right in front of me in the media box at uh, Aldershot. So I had to be very careful what I ever said about Jake. Fortunately, I love Jake, so he didn't get too much bad press uh, from me. Uh, and great to see Connor there as well, you know, supporting his brother um, and... Uh, you know, really good stuff there at Dorking. And they've also got Josh Gallagher, who's managing Reigns Park Vale now, uh, who have just come, I think, third in their league. And their cousin, Jordan Gallagher, was the top scorer in the division with 45 goals in 40 games, I think. So yeah, and I think it's, Jake's it's playing there, isn't he? I think Jake's yeah. playing at Reigns Park, isn't he? Yeah. 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 Um, anyway, more question. I just when you said about you know where Jim's from, I, I checked Google. There's absolutely no way that is a Hendon accent. <laughs> no, I was uh, I was born I was actually born in Edgware, um, and then I moved to Kidderminster when I was about seven. So <laughs> it's slowly come out, but when I was down <laughs> south, it came out a bit more. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. My yeah. wife was born in Edgware, small world. Very, uh, very. So. Whilst the National League South final was going on at uh, Meadowbank, the same level final was taking place in the National League North. And, and Dickie, it was York against Boston. Boston, who'd progressed despite being in that uh, seventh place and they'd, uh, they'd won their two away games to get there. But uh, it proved too far. Just guide us through how that one went. Yeah, it wasn't quite the, uh, the the thriller that you saw, Rob. It was um, ultimately a 2-0 win for York City, fifth against seventh going into the day. Um, obviously, York with with the home advantage and, and with... Uh, they did have a slightly reduced capacity from the ground, I think, um, owing to some of the... They've had a couple of pitch invasions at previous games, which meant that the safety advisory group just lowered the attendance a little bit, which was a disappointment for them. But I think there was something like 7,500 inside... Um, the new stadium and, and yeah it was what happened at, at either end both at, in the penalty areas but at either end of the game as well um, Lenel John Lewis gave York a lead after five minutes then I have to say from my own perspective it, it looked as if Boston actually enjoyed more of the play but it just fell down when they got to the penalty area um, and then in the last 10 minutes or so they were just having to commit a little bit more forward you know it's it's your last throw isn't it there's 10 minutes left of the season and uh, they left themselves a little bit short to the back and um, Maz Kuyar the uh, Afghanistan international who's moved to York from Hereford he slotted home the second with four minutes to go and that made it safe for John Askey's team so it's the fifth place York City that are promoted. And uh, how well equipped do you think they look for the National League next season Dickie? Um, I think there's going to have to be some strengthening. I think I think every team going up from either the north or south is going to, is going to have to strengthen a little bit. I, on the day, I would say York probably are maybe the better um, cutout for it. I would call it a very efficient performance on Saturday. They didn't have um, a, a huge amount of possession, but what they did have they used very, very well. They didn't have very many chances, but when they got them, they put them away. Whereas Boston had more of the play um, in between the two penalty areas, but just couldn't do anything with it. So 
I think reflecting on it, it probably was a fair result. Um, I, I think you all probably did deserve it for just showing that that they could probably do the basics just that bit better than Boston did. And it, when it came to um, the areas of the field where it really makes a difference, that that's where they had the difference. Great stuff. So congrats. Maidstone to Dorking. Uh, to York and to Gateshead, all of whom we'll see in the uh, top tier of non-league next season. Now, listeners, we've been promising you for the last couple of weeks that we would get word from both the National League North and the National League South champions. And we've been true to our word. I recently caught up with George Fowler, first of uh, Maidstone United, and uh, following that, I also caught up with Gateshead's Robbie Tinkler. George, great to speak to you. What a mixed season you've had with kind of injury and being in and out of the side at Aldershot. It, it wasn't particularly looking like a, a decent season, but you've made the move to Maidstone uh, and you, you guys have gone on to win the title and uh, one hell of a season in the end for you. Yeah, obviously, obviously looking back um, to start with, it was, like you say, one where I was in and out a little bit and we had a lot of change, a lot of change at Aldershot and that can always make it difficult for somebody who's in and out of the team to, to get a consistent place and, and get a bit of rhythm when playing. Um, and yeah, unfortunately, obviously with my time at Aldershot, I, it got to a point where I, I was out of the team for a little while and obviously now being 24, um, I need to be playing. It's not like when you're when you're 18 and you can get the experience of training with the first team boys and mm. being on the bench, etc. Mm. Um, so yeah, I made the decision to go out on loan, um, which obviously led to, to signing permanently and the perfect end to, to that season really with winning winning the title with Maidstone. So. Yeah. yeah, decent stuff. I mean, and, and, and you kind of came up on under the radar a little bit, didn't you? And uh, you sort of just timed the run perfectly. Yeah, and, when I, when yeah. I, when I well, when I first went, they were actually because they started the season really, really well. They went unbeaten for a good run of games, yeah. uh, and then when I first came, they they'd had a few injuries, and so there's a bit of chop and change going on there, um, and they did hit a bit of bad form. Um, mm. But yeah, we managed to get some sort of stability. Um, I once Joe and all um, came back from injury as well. Um, myself and him developed a really good relationship playing at centre back together. Mm. Um, and yeah, they had a really good group, so we ended up, like you say, um, forming a really good run, um, which led on to to winning the league. One or two familiar faces there, of course, that you already knew. You must have played a little bit, did you, with George Elakobi at Aldershot? Yeah, there, there was a good few. Obviously, that, when you, when you move clubs, it's always a worry of yours is how you're going to settle in and stuff. The good thing about football is it is really quite a small world, so you tend to come across a lot of the players um, throughout your career. And yeah, there was a good few, really. George Elakobi, obviously. Um, when he was at Aldershot, I, I was injured and didn't play too much alongside him. Reese Grant, uh, Regan Booty, uh, Jake Gallagher. So to be honest, it was it was a team full of sort of ex Aldershot players, um, mm. which made the which made the transition a lot easier anyway, um, mm. and just extended the fact of why they were such a good group. Anyway, of course, I had good friends there, but yeah, all the lads were brilliant. And what a what a, a triumph as well for Hakan because. He'd kind of been the joint manager there and it'd been a different kind of setup at different times. But ultimately, given the reins, um, he's got the job done and he's got you guys back in the National League. Yeah, he was brilliant, really, because he had, like you said, that was his first his first time getting hold of the reins where he came in with, with John Steele. Um, and so it was the two of them to start with. And then he took over and I think COVID hit. Um, and like for 
managers everywhere, it would have been a tough a tough period to keep hold of a group and sort out contracts and furlough, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So this season was the first season he had to get a group of players together and, and work for a whole season, and um, yeah, it was a, it was a brilliant one. Now, I don't know so much about Ipswich, obviously, where you, you came from before you joined Aldershot, but, yeah. you know, you have now played for two clubs that, you know, I've picked up over the years. What magnificent supporter bases Aldershot had and, and Maidstone as well, just totally supportive supporter base, uh, bases, if you get my drift. Yeah, and that makes it, again, with the transition of moving to a club. I wasn't too sure. Obviously, Aldershot had previously played Maidstone before, um, and there was a good number of fans there. And, and Aldershot in the National League, obviously renowned for having um, a good following and a great fan base. Um, and yeah, when I went to Maidstone, it was it was very similar. Um, a real family club like Aldershot is, um, a great fan base. And obviously, when, you, when you're doing well, you get even more fans turn up so we had brilliant support yeah and like the last game I think of the season it was a sellout so we had over 4,000 which was scary numbers for that for that level for that league so um, yeah but both clubs great great fan base and as a player makes it so much easier to settle in with and I guess also so much easier as a player when you get to the end of the season contracted fit and able to go off and enjoy a damn good holiday, I'm sure, or two uh, after uh, after winning the title. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's the first probably sort of time where I've I've been sort of injury free for the whole season. Obviously, I was in and out of the team um, for various reasons to start with all the shot at the start of the season just finished. Um, mm. But for pretty much the whole season, I was fit. Um, I've always struggled with injuries, as as people will know, mm. um, and it's just it's just good to, to know that I've had a full season without injury and I've been able to achieve something really good that's going to stick in, in my memory for, for the rest of my life of winning, winning a title. So mm. I hope to, to continue that next season, hopefully be injury free and mm. who knows where it takes me. Anyway, great to catch up, George. Um, enjoy the summer break and we'll, we'll see you again you, at some point next season. I've been joined by uh, a fellow that I've not seen for a couple of years. Um, he drifted off back up north and, uh, I might just see him next season. You never know. Robbie Tinkler, National League North champion with Gateshead. How does that sound, fella? Sounds good. Um, it was a, a long season, the longest for a few years with uh, COVID intervening. And uh, I think the body's felt it. Um, so I think we're quite glad to get it done as early as we did. I think we, we managed to, to wrap it up two games before the end rather than taking it down the wire. So, uh, no, we were over the moon. Two different, very different sides in a way, weren't they? Brackley, very, very hard to break down. A ridiculous defensive record. A lot of nil-nils, one-nils. Um, and you guys, uh, you know, perhaps a little bit more on the front foot at Gateshead. And uh, you managed to sort of track them down, get close, and then get past them in the end. And uh, if it was a race, you timed it just right, didn't you? Definitely. Um, and you've seen in the game, we, we played against them, it was... It's cagey, we had chances. I would like to say that we, we had the better chances, but you know, one slip up and then they went forward and it was just a, the defensive record has been ridiculous, so mm. you definitely have to, to give them credit for that. Um, and something that we actually, we, in previous years, especially when I was a kid today, even the first time, our defensive record was pretty good. But um, I think with the, the front three that we had and a couple of the lads in midfield they were just we had created so many chances um, and the lads had to finish them off and they've done, done brilliant doing it 
Oh, good stuff. Tell us a little bit about Robbie Tinkler since you left uh, Aldershot. Obviously, you're, you're back in your native northeast, and uh, uh, you've been extending the family too, I understand. I have, yes. Uh, we, we got news when I was down at Aldershot. Um, I was pregnant. Uh, so it was a bit of a dash up north when COVID hit um, to get the house ready. So we kind of we realised it was going to be back in back in the northeast for the for the next year. Um, uh, I went down to York for that following season. So it was a bit of a delayed start. So it was quite a long a long pre pre season we'll call it. But no, we we started York, we done pretty well. Um we're going we're going pretty well until things got curtailed. It's just been a bit of a, a bit of an oddball really, I think like I say, with with COVID it's just been so difficult. Um everywhere I've been since Gator the first time we've been starting afresh with thirteen, fourteen new faces. Like I say, consistency is something that I, I pride myself on and I just couldn't get into a rhythm. And I really struggled just to to, to get into a flow. Um, and yeah, that's something that I'll, I would like to <laughs> half apologise to all the shop fans for because I think we just, I just couldn't get into a flow and something wasn't right. And then, like I say, it's, it seems to have all just clicked. Um, like I say, coming to becoming a dad it's, it's been fantastic and as I mentioned here just earlier we've got a new house up here so I'm positive and what, what were the celebrations like at that final game Robbie I see the crowd over 4,000 uh, that must have been quite a sight and quite an atmosphere yeah brilliant obviously we had um, we had Charlton as well didn't we in, in, earlier in the season in the FA Cup to go to the case and have 4,000 people there it, it was it was fantastic and uh as you can hear by my voice, we've uh, we've only recently come back from Portugal with, uh, <laughs> with the squad, so it's been lively, been eventful, but uh, I'll certainly never forget it. Oh, fantastic! Now I don't know your contract situation. Have you got to sort something out for next year? Or will you still be at Gateshead for sure? I've signed a two-year deal at Gateshead, so all being well, we'll be there for, for another couple of years, and hopefully we'll uh, we'll kick on. But as I say, it's just taking it. Taking it year by year, a bit of a mantra that we've took to, to this year. It's next game is always the most important, and it's it's quite it sounds quite corny, but it's it's obviously worked quite well for us this year. So I think we'll just we'll stick with that. We'll have a good summer in the meantime, of course. And I don't know what the word is, you know, amongst the players and the management and stuff, but uh, the feeling in the national league it gets more and more competitive season on season in. Uh, a lot more bigger clubs perhaps than even when you last played in it two or three seasons ago and um, it, it, it's, it's going to be uh, some achievement just to really establish yourselves back in the National League isn't it next season but one that I'm sure you're up for 100% um, I think when I was there last time there was obviously there's questions on the budget and the fact that we didn't have a great deal of money it's a very similar story but you know it's one that we do relish it's we do enjoy that little underdog story because I think even in the in the National North this season I think we've probably been in the same boat obviously it's obviously quadrupled when you move up the National League with the size of the clubs but that's what we do for you know you, you're playing again in front of the crowds and you're playing in the big stadiums and that's the whole point of your career is that you've just got to challenge yourself but moving on to Sunday, uh, it was the one big prestigious Wembley occasion 
this season. Uh, Wrexham uh, got there. That probably wasn't of too much surprise, but Bromley, what a fantastic achievement for them just to get there again for the second time in recent years. Of course, they they were led to uh, Wembley by Neil Smudger-Smith just a few years back, and they, they couldn't get the job done on that day, but they did on Sunday and started a little pattern of what we've had in the last few days where perhaps the underdogs have won uh, in the big matches. Um, chaps, I'm not sure who saw much of the game uh, on uh, on Sunday. Um, Jim, two sides from your own league. Did you get to see the FA Trophy final? What was your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I watched it. Uh, I thought Bromley were excellent. Um, they seemed to just play with so much freedom. They had runners for fun, and um, we we all know how good Wrexham are and their threats that they have up front and in midfield, especially. Um, but I just felt that they maybe left it a little bit too late to start putting some pressure on Bromley. But um, I thought Bromley were full credit for their for their win, um, and congratulations to them. You know, we uh, we played them a few weeks before. Um, and they turned us over at their place. So, you know, they've got it in them to to go and ruffle up the, the big boys, I suppose, in the league. Um, and they proved that they could do it on uh, on a big stage. Do you think, Jim, um, and I'm asking you this as a player, because, you know, we're all human beings. Um, the peak of their season, wasn't it? You know, they... they, they, they fell out of the playoff race. They, you know, they, they lost a bit of form, just started to get a little bit back here and there towards the end of the season. But it was the big finale for them. It was leave everything out there. Psychologically, slightly different, wasn't it, for Wrexham? Because whilst it was, you know, an achievement in itself and a goal to go and win the trophy, they know they've still got business to take care of in the playoffs. And, uh, you know, just as a player, uh, when you approach a game like that, you know, is it true that you're only focused on that next game or or are you thinking, you know, I don't want to get injured or, you know, we've still got to save a little bit? Yeah, I mean, um, I can't speak for obviously every everyone, but I think especially with the trophy um, in terms of Wrexham, you know, once you're there and uh, you've got the opportunity to go and lift the trophy, you, you're fully focused on it. About games that might come up, or what's the bigger bigger prize? Almost, you know. Um, but they're, they're, I don't think there would have been any doubt in their mind that they would have wanted to go and win that game. Um, it would have been great practice for what they possibly have coming up. Um, so it's gonna it's gonna give them great experience um, going into you know the the playoffs now, uh, especially for Wrexham. But as as you touched on with Bromley, um, you know, it is it is a the highlight of their season really so maybe that does give them an extra 20% um but as i said before they they maybe it did look like that as well deserved uh, their, their win good stuff uh, Luke uh, Tom i don't know if if either or both of you saw the game but the question that no, i didn't get to see it um i've only seen the uh, the goal really in the last 15 minutes but what I'm wondering is, how on earth did Bromley manage to keep Ollie Palmer, Jordan Davies and Paul Mullin all quiet in the same game? From what I can gather, they barely had an attempt on goal between the three of them. Yeah, I mean, I did watch the game and, and, and I think it was maybe that that made me 
begin to believe that, that that Bromley did genuinely have a chance of taking that one. I think the longer the game went on, the more I, I just had that that gut feeling that, that Wrexham aren't doing enough here. Um, and when you've got a goal scorer like Michael Cheek in your side, you know it's you don't need to give him too many opportunities, and and that's precisely what happened. Um, it's strange. You spoke about that thing about it being the last game of the season. I remember when we spoke to uh, Brandon Hall, who was at Hereford last season, when they, they got to the trophy final and it was against Hornchurch. And they spoke about the fact that they'd come up against National League sides who were actually still playing because the National League had continued, whereas at step two, the, the season had ended. And he said, we went into every game thinking this could be our final game of the season. And there was almost that sense of, you know, giving it absolutely everything because you didn't have anything else to play for. Um, and and I, I, it feels like there might have been a little bit of that about Bromley's play on Sunday, whereas, um, you know, we know for Wrexham that they, they have other challenges ahead um, this weekend. Whether that was in the minds, I don't know. But, you know, we, we have to take, um, you know, Jim as somebody who, who operates at this level, um, uh, and his word for that, 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 you know, the Wrexham players would be focused on that. And what we mustn't do is take credit away from Romney um, and look upon it as, a, as being, you know, Wrexham failed on the big day. Wrexham didn't fire, but how much of that was down to how well Bromley played? So we have to give them full credit for their achievement. Yeah, I mean, Bromley defensively, that, that shift was incredible. Um, Chris Bush, like, what a performance that was from him. He was fantastic for me. And it was like, 100 when you factor in the additional time that was played uh, because of the injury to uh, Omar Swomey, um, who also was brilliant until he went off. And then Jim, uh, Joe Partington came on and there was no drop in quality there. Defensively, they were outstanding. And the save from Ellery Balcom with, what, a minute of normal time on the clock was a, a brilliant save. And he had so little to do as well. You know, p- people who watch keepers regularly will always tell you, the keepers who can pull out top draw saves when they've not had anything to do, that mark of concentration is a sign of a really good keeper. First save there was, was really, really good. Uh, and as much as Cheek's goal was a match-winning goal, that was a match-winning save as well. And Dickie, one final point on Bromley? Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, really smart work by Bromley's um, marketing team just a day after the final. Um, as we said, it went to, they played 97 minutes and really smart of them to capitalise on the fact that, you know, they'd won the FA Trophy. They made season tickets available for 97 hours at a price of £97 to reflect the 97 minutes that they played to win the trophy on Sunday. So it was really smart by them to capitalise on their moment. And, you know, we hope that's gone really well for them. And we're delighted to be able to bring you some uh, reaction from the victorious Bromley camp. So I'm very kindly joined on the phone now by Bromley's Luke Coulson. Luke, we're talking now, what, three, four days after the game. You went to Wembley, you played at Wembley and you won the FA Trophy at Wembley. Uh, How good does that sound? Yeah, absolutely amazing. It probably hasn't uh, quite sunk in just yet. Um, Obviously, uh, we're getting sent a lot of pictures and videos from different angles and stuff stuff like that so it's been a, a great little reminder over the next few days but I, I feel like over the next few months and when we're all on our holidays and when a new season starts that's when it'll uh, probably sink in just just how much we achieved has anybody put cheeky's goal to the titanic music yet <laughs> uh, no funnily enough they haven't but uh, i wouldn't be surprised if he did that himself <laughs> nice one just um Forgive me not knowing, Luke, is, have you played at Wembley before or was that your first time? 
That was my first ever time. Um, I'm currently one game, one win. So um, the stats are looking really good for Wembley. Um, but yeah, no, that was the first time and uh, absolutely delighted that, you know, I got to do it in my career. Hopefully there will be another time. And, 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 and having sort of done it and been successful as well, what would you say to other people, you know, playing at Wembley for the first time? Because I guess there's a balance to be had between not letting the occasion pass you by, but also just applying everything you've learned and just making it a normal football match as much as possible. You know, the actual occasion itself, the amount of fans in the stadium, what's on st- what's at stake. Uh, there's going to be different nerves, different pressure, um, especially if maybe you're an underdog. Um, but you know, we uh, we went out there, and uh, I feel like we did we did give it all with a with a game plan, and obviously that worked. Um, I was actually a little bit more nervous the night before, um, having spoke to my you know teammates and friends. Um, and I, I, you know, I went to bed thinking, cool, I hope I'm, ho- I hope I'm not this nervous walking out. Um, but the next day, I was actually really calm, really relaxed, and I was actually more excited about the game. So um, I guess everyone's going to deal it, deal in, you know, with the situation in a different way. And uh, for Bromley as a football club, of course, it was their second trip, and for the supporters in particular, you know, a few years back under Neil Smudger Smith, you know, they got there once before, and it didn't go their way. So. How pleased were you for the supporters that they got to go to Wembley and see a win this time? Yeah, it was absolutely amazing. And I think the turnout from the Bromley fans, you know, was just incredible. Um, And the support that we've had since um, and throughout the season, especially, um, you know, post-Christmas, our season league position wasn't that great. But the fans stuck by us, um, especially especially with the cup run, Um, you know, and it's kind of a credit to them as well that, you know, the day was that much more special for us. Um, you know, and uh, I mean, I'm sure you've seen the video when the goal goes in and the celebrations. It's mm. it gives me goosebumps just watching that every time. Yeah, it's a fantastic uh, achievement. Um, and uh, going into the game, I don't know what you can share with us, but obviously um, Wrexham had some real attacking prowess. You know, in in the likes of Jordan Davies and Ollie Palmer and uh, Paul Mullin. You know, they've been scoring goals for fun, but you as a team actually kept all three of them individually really, really limited to chances across the game. Uh, how did you go about doing that? I think we just had, you know, we had a solid game plan that, that concentrated on what we were good at. We knew they were going to have certain moments in the game and it was about not only limiting them uh, initially, but we knew a lot of their actual goals come from set pieces. So we did a lot of work on their long throws and set pieces. I think like 50% of their goals actually come from set pieces. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you uh, if you can be focused and switch on for that part, then actually it takes up 50% of their threat away, which in a game of football is obviously massive. Um, but yeah, I think on the, on the balance of play, they were actually, you know, we had the better chances. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think maybe having that, no pressure going into the game, knowing that the pressure was on them scoring the goals because of obviously the, the, the likes of their strikers probably helped us out on the night itself as well. And uh, just coming on to things from an individual viewpoint, Luke, um, I've watched you play in the National League, you know, mainly against Aldershot over the last four or five seasons, initially for Ebbsfleet for a couple of seasons. And I think you're uh, somewhere between 100 and 150 appearances now for Bromley already. You seem to have found a real good home there. 
Yeah, it's 135 to be exact. Uh, not that I keep count, but um, yeah, no, I've, I've had an incredible time at Bromley and uh, I've absolutely loved it uh, from the moment that I, you know, I walked through the door under Neil Smith and the players that were there that are now some of my best friends and will be lifelong friends like Jack Holland and Frankie Raymond. Um, Sam Wood, George Porter, you know, Frankie Sutherland, Adam Beck, I could go on. Um, but it's, it's just that community, it's that home, it's, it's the friendships that you build, it's always been like that. And, you know, to see the club grow from when I first arrived at Glen Beverly, it was just getting built to what it is now and the Broomfields opening up and all the changes that have been made, it's, it's just incredible. And the club is going, you know, strength to strength and hopefully I'll be part of that long into the future. Brilliant stuff, Luke. Thanks very much for joining us. Moving on then to the National League playoff eliminators. Uh, and I have to say, I put everything else aside. Monday evening, Tuesday evening, I lapped up every minute of each game. Starting on Monday then, Notts County against Grimsby. Uh, and uh, I think that um, most people favoured, with all their attacking prowess, Notts County, that they'd most likely come through this one against Grimsby but don't write off uh, Paul Hurst for me I think he's the more proven of the two managers and that's why I sort of the one that I got sorry um, uh, of those two games that Grimsby just shaded it in the end but key moments late goals you know late goals that really killed really really it didn't go for Notts County did it on the night and uh, fair play for Grimsby for getting the job done Anyone else see it? Yeah, um, I, I thought I thought Grimsby, um, I thought Grimsby were brilliant against Knotts. Uh, both two really good sides, really good talented players all over the pitch. Um, but I think Grimsby just—I always felt watching it. I think other lads had a different opinion as well when I spoke to them about it. But I always felt watching it that Grimsby were the team that were going to um, progress, and obviously they did in the end. But I think. A balance of being able to do both play and do the the horrible side of the game all over the pitch. Um, so it's disappointing for Knotts, but uh, Grimsby were again. I think I think they came out deserved winners. Um, just unfortunate for Knotts how it happened because you know they hang on for two more minutes and they're they're the ones who are through, aren't they? So it's just the way of the playoffs. Absolutely, and uh, I know. Uh... Friend of the show, Adam Virgo, has been on a few times. Been getting an on Twitter, uh, some of which is a little bit unfair, I think, because uh, I, I've never felt that he or the commentator Adam Summerton or any of the guys at BT are ever, you know, biased towards one particular team or not. I think there was an expectation that uh, you know, amongst Notts County people uh, and amongst the outsiders, that they, you know, they could and should progress in that game, but they didn't. They didn't get the job done. Um, and uh, Tom, um, what's your take? I, I did question Notts County a few weeks ago. I was a bit concerned that they might have just been a little bit weak on the mentality side, despite the attacking prowess they've got. And, and, and ultimately, when you concede late goals like that, that only you know that only overemphasizes that that point, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know. It's no, it's very it, Fans want the young players, don't they? Fans love young players. They love to see the exciting talent come through. You know, the like. But when it came down to it, the person who made the difference was Gavin Hollihan, 
who has that now and experience to know that the game is not finished until the final whistle and at 90, 90 plus six minutes he's popping up with a winning goal um, and I just think that, that Grimsby have well you know clearly because they just did it but Grimsby have that in their team um, you know they had a difficult start to the season then they really really kicked on and they uh, have gone from strength to strength over the campaign how many big just really struggle to adapt um, and they're, they're probably one of the best equipped to actually bounce straight back that I've seen in, in a fair few years in National League level. Yeah, uh, Gav Hollihan, as you say, Johnny on the spot. If you, For me, one of the top three or four players in the National League, that if you had somebody in a tight area that was just going to be in the right place at the right time to finish something off, Gav Hollihan would be the one. Um, the other point I've remembered I was going to make about Adam Verge, he called um, Carl Cameron as the uh, man of the match a couple of minutes it went to extra time and uh, a lot of the Grimsby fans on social media saying uh, Ben Fox was absolutely outstanding um, Jim as as a fellow midfielder uh, you watched the game it was an impressive performance wasn't it from Fox yeah he's, he was absolutely everywhere and uh, he didn't have a bead of sweat on his head even in the 123rd minute or whatever it was but he was um, yeah outstanding his ball retention and the amount of attacks that he stopped and yeah his, I mean his energy in the in the extra time was just outstanding um, probably one of the best performances that I've seen from a midfielder at this level um, so hopefully he doesn't do that much more if we get to the final and play them. So, <laughs> but now fair play to him, fair play to Grimsby. Yeah, congratulations to Grimsby, who will of course go to the race course on Saturday. I'm very much hoping to be there for the podcast, so we will get you some post-match reaction from both. As for Notts County, well, they'll now compete for a fourth season uh, in non-league football, having been, uh, of course, one of the original founders, um, uh, you know, ever present in the uh, football league prior to that. And they've actually gone a step backwards each season, I've realised, chaps. They were in the final the first season, the semi-final the second season. They've gone out in the eliminator in the third season. And Dickie, just a final little footnote on Notts County. Retain list come out today and uh, it looks like, uh, other than one or two who consider their offers, such as Carl Wooten, it looks like most of them are staying. It just looked that way. I mean, if we were talking about that, you know... mentality then um obviously the hope there is to, to build on it rather than to sort of like try and dismantle it and bring in players who've got that the, that the aim has got to be to um you know to carry forward with the group that you've got i say only uh dion kelly evans alex lacy and tyrese palmer released um everybody else is either retained or, or considering um uh the offers that they've been made. So it looks as if it's not going to be much change. There has even been a rumour uh, around lately around uh, manager Ian Birchnell as well. He was being spoken about in connection with a vacant post at Forest Green Rovers. Um, so, you know, that that's in the mix as well, potentially. I don't know how much is risen that. And, I, and it's not fair to ask that kind of questions in the immediate aftermath of a, of a playoff loss. Um, but yeah, it's going to be an interesting summer at uh, Meadow Lane. I think also um, to be the cynic in the room, even if Notts did want to make some squad adjustments, their hands are slightly tired by giving out over the last few years. There's the 22 players in their, their first-team squad, 11 of them at least, um, as in that we have the, the data for, at least 11 of them are on contracts until 2023 and beyond. So actually their their scope for, for making adjustments if they wanted to is kind of limited unless they want to start 
uh, sort of uh, spending money for mutual terminations and stuff. Not that I'm suggesting they would want to do that, but um, it's a factor. Right, moving on then. Finally, Jim, thank you very much indeed for your patience and uh, for your contribution. But uh, the second playoff eliminator in the National League on Tuesday night saw Chesterfield, an outperformed Chesterfield, uh, travelling to Halifax. And I think uh, across the board here, uh, most people fancied that Halifax, with the best home record in the National League, would probably just have enough to uh, progress and to keep out a Chesterfield side that hadn't scored in over five hours. I'm building this up nicely for you, Jim. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my own head on the block here because this is what I said last night. I think this will be much closer than most people think so. Uh, but ultimately, Halifax's incredible home defensive record, just 11 goals conceded at the Shea all season, coupled with the Spyrite's struggle to score goals under Cook, leads me to lean towards the Shaman. <laughs> My one caveat to that is that if Danny Rowe comes up with one of his special moments, hurrah, save myself right at the end there, Jim. Sure. Just talk to us about the build-up to this. Did you guys thrive on the fact that everybody was writing you off? Um, do you know what? We've just blocked out the sound from everywhere. We've had a few, um, you know, your your prediction before the game was spot on, as everyone else would have thought, but Within the dressing room, we've always had a belief that we've got a really, really talented and strong group. Um, it's just not clicked. We've had difficult season off the pitch. Um, but, you know, we've put it together when it, when it mattered the most. And as you said, when, when you've got um, Danny Rowe in your team, you, you give him the ball and he might score from 40 yards out or he might score ahead get an assist for the second. So, um big players like that in these kind of games are huge importance and um, just their presence in general uh, fears, makes the other team fear them. So. Absolutely, Jim. And uh, sorry, someone else going? So speaking of that second then, Jim, um, you know, you know him, you share a changing rhythm. Did Jeff King mean that? Yeah, do you know what? Um, yeah, fair play to Kingy. He, he's, he obviously has Halifax lads for a while. Um, I think he knows the goalkeeper and he had said to a few of the strikers and attacking players, you know, he's he's a great keeper, but he'll gamble on what sides he goes. Um, so, for example, if you're going through one-on-one, try and dink him because he's going to pick a side. Um, and then he's, he knew straight away that Kingy would either go across goal or across it, so he's gambled on coming out and getting it. But to be fair, we've, I've watched it back and it's an unbelievable. I mean, even if he had covered his near post as he should have, um, he would have it would have been some save to to have stopped it. So, uh, yeah, Kingy, absolutely brilliant. He's been outstanding all season. I'm I'm over the moon for him, especially how much it means to him that goal. Jim, before we go any further. Um, how is Danny? We heard, you know, that, that, that he wasn't too well after the game. Yeah, he's he's all right. Um, not spoken to him personally, but he's been um, his old self in the team group chat that we've got. So he's been fine, cracking jokes. Um, we've heard that he's he's all right. Um, so fingers crossed. You know, we see him as soon as possible, and um, hopefully he'll be all right for Sunday. 
Yeah, and um, one thing I must mention from uh, the game at the Shea last night, Jim, uh, evident to me right from the off, the noise of the Chesterfield fans. I think it was something like 2,100 yeah. uh, of them there. And they really did get behind you guys from the off. That must have given you a lift. Yeah, they've they've been incredible away and home all season. Um, I think that's what we're most disappointed with in the last uh, few months is for their um, support and following. But again, you know, they were they were so loud throughout the whole game, and um, we're we're really pleased that we've done it for them because I've said it, I've touched on it a few times in other interviews, you know, Chesterfield's a, a big club that have had such a terrible time over like the recent years. Um, and I think finally we've, over the last two seasons, you know, they've had a team that they can be proud of and almost, you know, go to these bigger ways. And I think we repaid them last night, but we want to obviously go all the way and repay them fully. So on uh, Sunday, you'll travel to Damson Park to play Solihull Moors. Really finished the season strong, haven't they? Um, you know, I know you won't, they're not opposition you'll take lightly, but I guess in, in terms of approach, you need to go to that game with a similar mindset to with which you went to the Shea on uh, Tuesday night. Yeah, I mean, every, every team we could have come up against in the playoffs is is always going to be a tough game. Uh, Solihull and no different. We we know that if we play as well as we did against Halifax, um, we'll cause them big problems. But I think we know as a team as well, and the manager knows that we've still got a lot more to give. Um, some of the stuff we were playing before, um, you know, December really was was top draw, and we felt un, unvinc- invincible. Um, so I think there's a few more things that we can improve on, which is a good sign because we put in a really good performance against Halifax and um, managed to win. So forward to the game. And as you said, we're not going to take Solly or Lightly. They've got some brilliant players across the pitch, as has everyone. Um, I think Osborne missing for them is a, is a big miss. Um, but they've got you know the likes of Sabara and Stora in the midfield who can do just as good a job. Um, so we're in for a difficult game, but... I'm confident we can come through it. And just regards to things from a personal point of view, Jim, obviously you've moved back town, uh, you know, and, and, and joined Chesterfield and established yourself there. And, and I know sort of, you know, you, you can play different roles in midfield and if you're a little bit deeper, it's not so easy to get on the score sheet. You're probably a, a one in four, one in five man over the years. But uh, if my calculations are right, live on TV, you're about a one in two man there might be one up your sleeve, is there, for the semi for, for the semi final? Yeah, I seem to save them for the telly. I think. Um, no, I, you know, I think I've been I've been playing a number of roles. Really, this season, um, I would have to have got more. But the start of the season was trying to create space for Cabs more than anything, and um, I was more than happy to do his running and to create space for him if he was going to get us 24 goals, you know, before he got injured. Um, and then throughout the season, I think as the season's gone, I've dropped a bit deeper. So the opportunities of me getting goals have been less, but um, you know, I'm, I just want to work for the team and whatever position I needed to play and I'll play him. And how is Cabby doing? I know that, you know, one, one or two little whispers here and there that he's, he's progressing 
aren't expected to take any part this season. It'd be quite incredible comeback if he if he does. But I understand he did get voted the player of the season. Yeah, I think he's 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 in good spirits. He always is Cubs. He's so uh, level headed, such a nice, quiet guy. Um but yeah, he's what he's done for us this season just is proved by the awards he won between you know uh, from the fans and from his um teammates as well. He's played half the season in the awards. Um it's a real shame for him that his season ended how it did. Um and it was a massive loss for us, you know, not having Rowie and Cabs for the majority of the season. Um you know, you're looking at a lot more points there if we we had them fit and firing, especially for this last stint. But um, we were we were all supporting him for the whole thing, and uh, he fully deserved everything that he got. And he's a great lad. Brilliant! Thanks for joining us, Jim. Much appreciated. No all the very best uh, very for much. the weekend. Thank you, guys. Well, that was Jim Kellerman and uh, Dicky Tom. Thank you both uh, for joining us. Pleasure as always. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great. And uh, listeners, we'll be back again very shortly. Don't forget to subscribe to us on all good podcasting platforms and uh, you'll get this podcast delivered uh, straight to you each week when it comes out. Um, Thanks for joining us again. Have a great footballing weekend and we'll speak to you very soon.